0: This is Archive Atlanta, Episode 200, LBGTQ Context Study, Part 1. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shaped the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday and happy 2023. My much-needed and much-appreciated podcast break is over, and I could not be more excited to start off the new year with two episodes covering a very small fraction of Atlanta's LBGTQ Plus history. With support from the National and Georgia Trusts for Historic Preservation, MailChimp, and the Department of Community Affairs, Historic Atlanta and the City of Atlanta kicked off an initiative in early 2022 to create an LBGTQ context statement which will identify, document, and ultimately lead to preservation of neighborhoods, public spaces, and individual buildings that are all associated with the city's queer community. New South Associates has been engaged to complete this study, and so I had the pleasure of interviewing historians Wes Nemo and Patrick Sullivan to get a sneak peek of the stories that they've discovered and documented. We talked for over an hour, so I tried, i you know what, couldn't even choose things to cut out because they were all awesome. So I've split this up into two episodes. In this week's part one, we talk about what a context study is, the first documented drag performance in 1895, the city's first lesbian bar, the complexities of researching LBGQ history, the first gay affirming church in the US, which was in downtown, and so much more. So without further ado, please enjoy. All right. I want you first to both introduce yourselves and say your name. So um, I'll start with you, Wes.
1: Uh, My name is Wesley Nimmo, and I'm a historian at New South Associates. And I'm Patrick Sullivan. I'm a senior historian and
2: architectural historian at New South Associates.
0: Okay, awesome. And so we are here to talk about some LBGTQ Plus history in Atlanta. And this is all coming from a context statement, right? Is that I'm saying this right? Mm, That's correct. Now, I should know this because I was volunteering with Historic Atlanta. I was communications chair during this time. And so I know it was a big win to get this grant, to get this funded, and this being so important. And so for everyone listening, kind of what is a context study? Why is that important to historic preservation?
2: Sure. So a context study, well, first of all, backing up, I mean, there's been a big push by the National Park Service to provide funding for historic LGBTQ sites throughout the country. And so there have been a number of studies already produced in other cities, uh, New York, San Francisco, even Louisville, Kentucky. So this grant was one that was provided by federal funding through the National Park Service, uh, distributed through the Historic Preservation Division here in Georgia. The grant was provided to Historic Atlanta and the city of Atlanta. And then they contracted us to provide the context study In a context study for preservationists, um, the idea is to identify identify both the resources, the people, places, and events, and the significant themes that would be associated with them so that we could then turn and nominate those resources, hopefully, if they have integrity. And we'll talk about that later. But... Uh, nominate those resources to the National Register of Historic Places.
0: Oh, so this is like a preliminary thing almost, like you're right. you're helping to narrow down a list, and then people can pick that up later and nominate them to the National Register or locally protect them.
2: That's mm-hmm. correct, Oh, yeah.
0: okay. So we
2: will not be, in fact, designating anything through this uh, context statement, but like I said, we'll be trying to identify the historic themes, and along the way, by doing that, we're trying to identify these places, the ones that are still extant, of course we've lost a lot in atlanta but then also associate with them the people associate them with the people and places that make them significant
0: okay and that we talked about this before hitting record but um i mean in general LBGTQ history is really difficult to research because it's not like it was clearly in the papers it was if it was at all it was very coded language um that also impacts what which race we're talking about in atlanta especially with newspapers so I think before we get into the stuff you found, I'm so curious how you even go about, how does this start, this research?
1: So um, this is a lot of reading in between the lines, I think. Yeah. You have to look into the newspaper and I mean, you, and it's not always very pleasant things to read. Like The the information comes from people who usually did not like LGBTQ plus people in the mid 20th century is where that early stuff starts. And so a lot of the stuff is reporting on the lives of these people that aren't seen. Uh, and so oftentimes the stuff we're reading, we have to assume usually are about white Atlantans. Um, as far as black Atlantans, there are occasional mentions and things are pointed out. Patrick uncovered a place, uh, if you want to speak about that.
2: Yeah, we, one of the, one of the chapters that we're identifying in the context is, um, anti-LGBTQ laws. So the, the, the sodomy statutes in Georgia yes, and yes. then just local ordinances in the city of Atlanta that were used to then prosecute, um, gay and lesbian people at the time. But so yeah, we would go through the historic newspapers, and one of them, I think we found, was the Yemen Ale, Ale House. Is that correct mm-hmm. on Auburn Avenue? And that building is still there. It's within the uh, local. It's locally landmarked, um, so it's protected. Locally protected. It's a small building, but there was a raid in 1967, which would have been relatively early for them that to is. be reporting on that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If we look through the um, city of the, the Atlanta Police Department's annual reports, though as you mentioned, it was very difficult because they typically would not identify when they were arresting people, at least in the early 20th century. But we would start to get um, some numbers of people who would be arrested for sodomy and then handed over to the general courts in Fulton County for prosecution. So you can start to see in the ones that we were able to identify from the Atlanta History Center that they had on hand, you would see a few numbers in the early, in the teens and in the 20s. Over time, they kind of stopped to specify that sodomy was the chargeable offense but you could kind of read between the lines oh. of, of other things. But even
0: age. as early as the teens yes. it would say sodomy
2: yes mm-hmm.
0: fascinating. Wow yeah. so that was an early way for you to get to those police records and yeah wow
2: and it was interesting and, and I'll let West jump back in but uh, it was interesting because we had the newspaper reports say like Atlanta Library Sting in the 1950s yes. and then if you look you kind of see there was a kind of gay panic in the media and among some political leaders. But then if you also are looking at the uh, Atlanta Police Department annual reports, you start to see those numbers reported and you start to see them increase over time in the mid-50s. So,
1: but tying this breaks- back to place is really hard. And so where that comes in is having to use um, oral history interviews. And so in the early 2000s, yeah. the History Center and I think uh, Georgia State did some work where they interviewed some elderly LGBTQ plus Um and a lot of them it did skew more white. And so that perspective is there, but a lot of them did identify places that otherwise, the only reason we would know they exist is because they applied for liquor licenses in the newspaper, but they didn't say that this was a place obviously for homosexuals to hang out. It wasn't an ad.
0: It wasn't like, if you are gay, come here.
1: No. And so just because we have these stories from people's oral histories, we can connect that back to it. Um, And so there's certain places we've lost Tim talking about uh, with Patrick, doing research on the raids there was a raid on halloween of 1966 apparently in a bar that was rented out by for for a gay party on peachtree street we have no idea what bar this was oh you
0: don't know we don't know we have a great
1: story but the point of the context is to attach these places these great events and stories well not awesome great but important and a part of the fabric of who lgbt people are today
0: now, is that the earliest stuff you're finding? Is it mostly white male?
1: Yes, it skews that way. There are some places, um, the TikTok Grill is also up near, you know, where Gusto is in South Buckhead. Yes, on, uh, mm-hmm, it's, that's it's that the Lodges, where the Masonic Lodge is, where I call it
0: No Man's Zone. You're yep. like, is this Buckhead? Is it Midtown? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Where the
1: Chipotle is. Yes, that's, yes. <laughs> um, So yes, right there, that was a TikTok Grill. So that was popular with, described as professional women, but upper-class or middle-class, like, white. working, yeah, white women. Interesting. Um, so that was one place. And then another place was the Piedmont Piedmont Tavern. I believe Piedmont Tavern, that is what it was called. And today that's where the nook is on Piedmont Avenue, right across from Piedmont, Piedmont Park. Park. Um, that was also popular with lesbians who played softball um, on the Oval <gasps> oh. in Piedmont Park. So the Lorelei Ladies was one of the team's, uh, there was another, the name escapes me right now, but they would, after practice or playing games, would go over and congregate at the Piedmont Tavern. It was owned by a lady named Vera Phillips and her husband, who I can't remember right now. Um, and there's a reason for that. Uh, after it got really popular with lesbians and, uh, a couple of gay men as well, she, they, they grew out, outgrew that space. Um, oh, so they needed okay. a new space. So they opened, uh, Mrs. Peace, as it was called, for, Vera Phillips,
0: but do you think in a case like that bar did it start? Like, do you think she opened it as a lesbian bar?
1: So the way that we've I've interpreted it, uh, from what we've seen, is that she definitely had a customer base. Um, okay. It obviously outgrew the space she had before, so they moved there, and her customers moved with her. But um, oral history interviews uh, with Diamond Little and. Uh, Other people who were there kind of describe it more as a, it's still a business. It's a business operation. The people who are running these bars are in it for money. They are creating space for LGBTQ plus people in the mid 20th century that otherwise wouldn't have been there, but they're still in it to make money. Um, so whether she did it because she really wanted to do it for gay people or if because she had a great customer base and she needed to expand her space.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it is really, the first space in Atlanta that we've been able to identify that was open because there was a customer base of LGBTQ plus people coming to a bar that needed a more space to congregate.
0: So that's interesting. And I wanted to go back. So when you are... This is me just being a I think researcher also. It's like mm-hmm. what are the words you have to search that early? Are they terrible? I mean, if you don't want to cuz cuz I'm with you, I know what it's like to have to type in words that you're just like I can't believe I'm typing in this word, but this is what I have to do in order to find what I need mm-hmm. because they're talking about people in such a negative way. So I mean, if you you obviously don't have to share them if they're slurs or anything, but
1: I will mention a couple. They're not slurs, but I still think today the, the word homosexual mm-hmm. has a a negative connotation in some context that's a word we constantly have to use that was and i think it was a word that gay people at the time probably also used but it is something we have to use um another thing that it's not necessarily lgbtq plus but prostitute these terms Mm. that negative terms pointed at people doing actions that other maybe upstanding Straight Atlantans society. the way they viewed it. yeah. I see where you're saying have...
0: sodomy isn't a bad word inherently but I see where but you're it, saying is that you have to use because it was yes. it was illegal it mm-hmm. was a crime so mm-hmm. you're using it to find these stories. So
1: there's definitely some of the words in there. I know that we've we talked about it before you have to find that combination of words yes. to, to figure out what will pull yeah. that article up.
0: The keyword magic. Yep. Yeah. But and sometimes you're like how am I typing these words out? <laughs> like but if that's the
2: hardest thing thank God for digitizing this paper. No I know wow. you're right. You're right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, yeah, finding that history would be... So did soft, you... Be...
0: Are you also doing people? Is this like a... So it's a business structure thing, but also people?
1: It's kind of. The people need to be attached to the places. That's the key here. But a lot of them are. They're the movers, the shakers, the people who are moving gay liberation forward and also creating space for gay people. Their names are going to be associated with these places. And so as long as it's connected.
2: Yeah. And I'll just just to kind of back up when we talk about a context, because we are developing this for the National Register of Historic Places nomination. Um, And I won't get into the weeds of it, but there are typically, for our purposes, three areas where something can be eligible for the register. It can be eligible under criteria A, criterion A for events, historic events, criterion B for association with important people in our past, or criterion C for design. So that would be usually architecture or landscape architecture, engineering, things of that nature. So, um, yeah, so sometimes we are tying... um, Certain properties to the people themselves because that's where they uh, conducted their most productive life's work and what yeah. they're looking for. Them.
0: Now, are you of um, like not ignoring? It's not the right word, but if something is already listed, so I'm just thinking of um, Norris Herndon and the you mm. know the Herndon Mansion, like that's already mm-hmm. on the National Register. So, do you just put that to the side, or does that make it to the context study?
2: No, we have been identifying uh, some of these resources because, I mean. Uh, Most of these resources that we have listed in the National Register in Atlanta and then, of course, nationwide, uh, do not include that LGBTQ history. So if you look at the Midtown National Register Historic District, if you look at that nomination, there is mention of the neighborhood improving in the 80s and 90s, but there's no real mention of the... The strong you know who did that yeah yeah so
1: so so
0: you're that yeah that's a missing huge missing chunk of midtown to to not have that mentioned so i see what you're saying so there is like a a correction also of a yeah
2: and so possibly maybe an outcome of this project would be to when they if they go to amend these national register districts or even these national register nominations for individual properties to include that history and then Maybe what we're able to identify in the context will say you're expanding the boundary to include these other buildings and you can include that history as well. So that would be some of the, um, some
1: okay. of the useful. So know.
0: there is, so you are including some of that stuff too. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: A really good example I can't remember the hotel name right now, it escapes me, but the Cotton Blossom room in the hotel downtown where. Um, George Hyde established the first gay-affirming church in the United States. The oh, the, Hotel. the Wyckoff, which was yes, Ellis. Yeah. here's a good. I example. was super
0: excited because I work right next door, so I stare at the building every day, and and I remember I was like, "Oh my gosh, there was a gay bar in there." Yeah,
1: and so it caught fire. Yes. The photos show the the cross, the um Orthodox cross on the balcony of the building. Yes. So it wasn't a, yeah, it
2: was a bar, but also the, one of the first gay mm-hmm. churches. It wasn't
1: in the bar, but the people who worked at the bar and worked and the management and the hotel provided part of the funding and the room for them to establish this first church. And even though it wasn't technically a gay church, it was the first church in the United States to be gay affirming.
0: The first church in the United States mm-hmm. to be gay affirming was in Atlanta, was in, Atlanta in the Weinkauf Hotel. Mm-hmm. That is blowing my mind.
1: Yep. So, <laughs> and I don't
0: want to skim around. So what is, what is the earliest story you found?
1: I feel like the earliest one that I can think of right off the top of my head would be related to the Exhibit... states Exhibition? Yes.
0: Oh, what is around there? There
1: were two female impersonators who came. So female impersonation is the term that
0: was used used for drag.
1: And so a lot of people who are my age probably use the word drag. But in the 20th century, it was female impersonation and before. And so female impersonators came and at that time that was a part of most stage shows there were men who dressed as women it wasn't necessarily tied to being queer yes but it was queer in the sense that you were dressing in a different gender Um, but it was accepted so like people who would not who would have been affronted at sodomy would have been fine to go see this show and well into the 20th century Atlanta had female impersonation shows as part of their cabarets.
0: Really? So yes. the 1895 Cotton States Exposition that was yep. in Piedmont Park, mm-hmm. you're saying, did somebody come into Atlanta to perform? Mm-hmm. But this was a female... Or... Two,
1: two people who, yeah, two... Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the first
1: The first one that's been probably. The first
0: drag. <laughs> yeah, the first drag that's in Atlanta. That's amazing. Wow. Possibly, that's, yeah. That's so <laughs> cool. At least
1: recorded that yeah, we have Yeah, the first that of. we know, yeah.
2: yeah it's I, Yeah, it's hard to sometimes... Always pinpoint and say yes. That was the first. Yeah. But, well, I mean, no.
0: And of an course, early. we know we we'll never know what happened in people's homes. Or no. and with and,
1: this context, that's been a lot of the language has to be the earliest recorded because yes. this is secret history. Of course, these a lot of these people <laughs> did not want this to ever come out. But it's a part of who we are, and I think that is something maybe we should talk about too. Is it's one of those things where a lot of the people who were alive prior to 1969 probably would not have wanted these stories to be a part of public knowledge. And so it's one of those things where you're towing this line where if it wasn't in a newspaper and it wasn't a public collection, how it's an ethical responsibility of how to include. And we've gotten into that a little bit because some of the earliest stuff we know is from people who shared those stories in the 90s and early 2000s of people who weren't with us anymore. Yeah. And... It, it, it kind of is one of those things where if it's already in print somewhere, it definitely needs to be included in this. But if we found it in an archive, I'm not really sure whether the context, if there's not a place that can be a, surely attached to it. And it was a monumental moment in our history, whether we need to include something like that. But it's definitely that's that's going to be something I think that's going to be an argument for a, a while.
0: I Charlie and I have this discussion at work now together <laughs> often because you you know sometimes you come across something you're like okay it's this year and this woman never married and she did this thing and that thing and then you know you're like well I can't make this assumption though it's I'm you know you just mm-hmm. can't make that you assumption can. I don't yeah. have the evidence um, but also let's just pretend the person I'm talking about was a lesbian right yeah she may not have wanted to be identified that way yeah. or so th- I. I mean, I cannot pretend that's a really an outing scenario. It is is.
1: for a person that's not alive. It is, and it's definitely going to be a, a controversial thing. I think for a while, but
0: so you're really going with you know, double, triple evidence. So like some things are written about, yes. something's been published before, evidence that person has identified themselves that way. That
1: That's the important part wow. is that it's them identifying as, and there's some people who obviously are participating in the culture and maybe we don't know how specifically they identified, but if they're a part of the culture and the things that are going on, you can include like them. they're in the newspaper, they're Got in it. gay papers, that's fine. But some of those really early 20th century stuff is where yeah. it kinda gets a little dicey.
0: I can imagine. So, okay. So, first, we're gonna call it first drag show in 1895. But um, when you start to get then into the 1900s, are you seeing people mentioned first, or any structures or bars, or you know, is there anything like any social gathering place that early?
1: The the earliest stuff might even be the wine cough. It's it's really the 40s. Is um, there was a bar at in the theater district at Five Points. Um, I might have just been called The Lounge. Uh, that was one of the earliest places, and we only know it from oral history interviews. Yes. Wow. So we, people uh, yeah. who were about 20, turning 20, were going there, who mm. were interviewed in the early 2000s. Yeah, our work
2: owes a huge um, debt of gratitude to the work that the oral historians done, um, the Touching Up Our Roots historians, LGBTQ historians who started to collect these stories early. Uh, also the folks at Georgia State um, mm. and uh, the Atlanta History Center. So we have a lot of that information that that is the basis of for a good good amount of that history from that early part. Yeah. We didn't uncover
1: that story about the drag at um, Piedmont. That was um, the Atlanta lesbian and gay history thing was a group founded by people who had been participating in gay rights movement since, since its inception here in Atlanta. Um, They founded that group in the nineties. And so one of their first, newsletters included that story that's that they had so uncovered that in some of their collections
0: and so back so the church that was in the wine cough you're mm-hmm. saying it starts church space first then sort of bar bar first, bar first so it was a course. bar first okay.
1: and i think that may have been part of the connection is like they they knew how to make the connections with these people because and that's that's an important thing to state is that bars have always been a safe place because it's the place you could go and know that when you walk into it it's the place that you knew to go into because probably someone told you about it or you mm-hmm. read it somewhere and that secret, they had these directories. This is they getting,
0: did? They had like a gay it, green book? It,
1: that's what they called <laughs> it. But they way. were they were directories, yeah, and they kind of started in the 60s. Um, so prior to that, it would have been mostly word of mouth. But yeah, you'd form these friends and know where to go. Um, and that'd wow. be your safe place. So something like that probably, the, the cotton blossom would have been first So the Cotton Blossom
0: was the name of the bar.
1: That was the name of the bar. And
0: was this the main hotel bar, or this was like a separate room? We bar?
1: don't specifically. Yeah, we don't know that, and we don't know whether the Cotton Blossom doesn't get mentioned after that. Really? And, and, and really, I don't know if we found any. Newspaper evidence of it. It's really from oral histories that there's any evidence that. And it you're existed. able to corroborate
0: it with the little cross on the outside. Y- yes. Wow. Yeah.
2: Crazy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it. It's one. It's the one that it won of uh, the yeah, award. The Pulitzer Prize-winning <laughs>
0: photo that that kid took. Uh, yeah, where the woman is it's falling.
1: falling. It's right in the background. <laughs> Oh,
0: that's fascinating. So that's really the kind of earliest time you're seeing gay bar pop up is in the 40s. Yes. And then does the 50s have? I mean, because in my mind, I'm always just thinking the 60s. But
1: the 50s would be Piedmont Tavern. Okay. Um, There was a TikTok, as you mentioned. The TikTok. um, The Tower Lounge, which was um, on Forest Avenue, which is today Ralph McGill. Mm -hmm. Uh, That started in the 50s and was owned by... uh, a straight man, but he was very connected to um, a group of lesbians that went there that were also part of the Lorelai ladies. It was more of a softball group. Um, that building still operates as a bar. It's the Bantam. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah.
0: Yes. I, mm-hmm. That is amazing. I love when it's still a bar. Mm-hmm. That's the best. And
1: it was the tower <laughs> through the twenty the 21st century at yes. the turn of the 21st. It had become, I think, known as the Tower 2. It went through several mm-hmm. iterations, but... Um, yeah. Wow. A lesbian space. Um. Not today, but then. No,
0: that's so. So was anybody publicly out in the 40s or 50s in Atlanta?
1: <laughs> that's a good. I don't. Uh, I. I I, I, I haven't know. found really evidence of that. And and we we do get into that a little bit. So I think there is a difference in our understanding of what out is today and what out meant then. Mm. Researchers of like Southern history from the early 20th century when things were a little bit smaller view things as you had people who were like eccentric, they were different (laughs) and that was fine. And, and I think a person who interviewed George Hyde, he mentioned a couple, a group of two men who got buried together, I think up in Kennesaw and had a relationship and their whole community knew about it, but no one said anything. That was the key. As long as you weren't upsetting the social order, Mm -hmm. no one was mad at you. And so you could be yourself and come to church and be different but And so you were out in the way that everyone knew, but Got you didn't it. get to say it out loud. And <laughs> so that's the at, distinction. act on it in public. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you definitely could not.
0: That's that's such a great, because I didn't think of it that way, is there's different versions of being out mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the 1950s is totally different than totally what we think different. of today. Which you said is probably just even ser- being able to live your life without being killed or jailed or whatever mm-hmm. in a very specific way that... We would look at somebody and be like, "Oh, they're in the closet." Yeah, they're not out, yeah. but they were
1: at, they were out. Wow. To
0: now, do some. you see? Is there a point where this really upticks the history, like it starts to become more public?
1: Absolutely. the The early seventies is in oh, Atlanta.
0: Seventies, not even the sixties.
1: Well, the late sixties is when things change a bit. Um, you have in the late sixties, you have the the hippies take over. Yes.
0: Oh, so I just did a well, I did most of an episode about the the hippies mm-hmm. from. Sixty-seven to sixty-nine. That period, just that such a yeah. such a tight period of like three streets, you know. Yeah. But it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. There's like four or five businesses they all went to, and the protests, and just it blew my mind. But that's where. You you start to see that you know the the upstanding Atlantans are like these hippies you know I mean <laughs> it just cracked me up the way they talked about them and really I think I titled the episode like Dirty Hippies because that's what they were calling that's them. what they called
1: them yeah or or they would call okay so Dirty Hippies I think were the people who were really hippies and then they had the word the plastic, plastic Hippies, hippies yes! for the people who were like yes! college kids who were yeah. they would like oh they're pretending yes, they they're like, going this is a a phase yes
0: or they lived in Kennesaw and they would come on the weekend uh huh like, it was yep. i remember there was yep. an article they're like there's only really 50 real hippies and mm-hmm. and 400 plastic hippies and <laughs> we i was like hope
1: there's Whoa. only 50 yeah hippies. <laughs> in, in a similar article that i was reading about that they do talk about gay people for the first time they really? start talking about the gay people living in midtown and i think that's that that moment you were talking about 67 to 69 that's when people who had always been around there's guy dobbs is a guy who was uh doing female impersonation okay um And he was friends with, like, Billy Jones, who became Phyllis Killer, who was a very famous and important drag artist in Atlanta. Um, This is that moment where you had people secret, behind walls, being gay performing as like female impersonators but not really living out and about moving to midtown because there was a difference now mm-hmm. oh. you could be different because all these people were already being different um, and so we know that billy jones lived in midtown in the late 60s around that period i think 67 68 and so and in that article they mentioned that there's groups there's two groups of homosexuals that live in midtown you have the people who are homosexual they this is their lifestyle so this would have been the people we're thinking of the people who are like out yes. going to the gay bars this is who they are then they talk about the young kids who are probably a part of the hippie group who don't have any money and but so they're calling
0: them homosexual they still
1: yes they Ooh, still identify so and so this is kind of gets back into that thing where you have to google the, or like yeah. search up the those horrible terms so you're looking for people who are doing sex work essentially oh. um and And, I guess the journalists got to make the distinction of who was and who wasn't, but <laughs> they they identified them being there. So that is that moment kind of when suddenly people are i I think more out
0: interesting. Um, okay. Now are you having drag performances? before this or this is when they
1: there was female impersonation shows so you had um it was usually what was called a supper um a supper club or like a a cabaret really it's like a dinner theater so you'd go and they'd have like some type of a stage performance and it would usually involve someone lip-syncing to music so what we would think of is just drag but it, it was to them it was like oh a man is dressing up as a woman this is fine as long as like the distinction was there so uh,
0: interesting. So that so was already happening. people Are going to watch it though? This oh, is yeah. like I mean, a straight pastime. I mean, this oh, yes. is not. So this is like, honey, let's go to dinner theater. Mm-hmm. This guy's going to dress up. Like I a mean, woman. it's probably
1: more of like the fun. Let's yeah, go do it because it's like different. Yeah. But yeah. and but these places also were spaces that. LGBT people were gathering as okay, well. Okay, maybe so not the same
0: night or something, but...
1: Different spaces is what has been identified. Really? So, like, you would have people sitting at tables watching the shows who were mostly heterosexual, and then you would have the bar itself would be where the gay really? men or the lesbians would gather. Yeah, and so you had that distinction already. Um, and, but then... So you already have the shows that are female impersonation shows in supper clubs. It's about the late 60s, the first recorded like drag being different in a gay controlled space was at the joy lounge uh halloween of 1968 uh that was just next door to where we talked about mrs p's earlier at 551
0: ponce it was on ponce it
1: was on next door there was a two-story building uh the lower section of it was a commercial part and then there was some like apartments or living situation upstairs this was 563 ponce downstairs was the joy lounge and it was owned by frank powell who ended up this was one of the earliest bars he owned but he ended up being like the gay bar owner in the 20th century uh but he let them start billy jones specifically start doing drag um and it was gay drag this was not for straight audiences making this was this was the female impersonation we think of today.
0: That's amazing. In 68. And this
1: is in 68. And so then it moves to the strip in 70 with, um, uh, Club Centaur, which was the building that's at the corner of 11th and Peachtree today, across from the Federal Reserve.
0: Yes, the little strip. That, that little has strip. a lot of stuff.
1: It has a lot yes. of stuff so in Charlie it. So, Charlie told me
0: about one, and then even me doing the hippie stuff, mm-hmm. there was something I can't think of which one it was right now, but I'm like, oh, it's in this little strip. Mm-hmm. And I think now it's painted like a dark color and it dark. just kind of fades away into yeah. the background. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What was the club? What's that club? Club Centaur. Oh, Club Centaur. Okay, so that's when it moves to the Strip in Yeah, and then we
1: have Diamond Lil, who's another really important drag artist to talk about. Um, She was more a performance artist, really. She performed live music, Mm -hmm. which was very different than what most drag artists do today and did then lip syncing to recorded music. No. She played with a band. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, and she rocked it out. And that place only lasted for like eight months, but... There, um, there's a whole two page spread in the great speckled bird about it. And she's on stage and she's, she's killing yes. it. <laughs> the
0: great speckled bird is so good. Yes. I wish it was better searchable. I mean, keyword searchable, but yeah. you don't even care. Cause you're like, I'm just going to read this whole yeah, page. It's, so it so it's always good. <laughs> it was, yeah. it's
2: a huge rabbit hole. Too, what it we're is trying to do. such
0: a rabbit hole. <laughs> the ads. I mean, every, yeah. like, yes, you'll go for one thing and then you're like, wait a second. What was I looking up? Oh, yeah. now I'm reading ads from the six sixties mm-hmm. or something. That so, I have to ask you, Patrick. Like, what is what is this like to research as a person not in the community?
2: <laughs> yes, I, yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: as a straight white male, how do you feel?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. I mean, I don't. I, on the one hand, it's it's been like I guess any other kind of project I've worked on. It's the history, you know. So, um, but then there's yeah, there's a lot, not a lot that you know. There's a lot that Wes can bring to it that I I just wouldn't know to, to course, even terms, ask that question. Of course, terms anything. I, I, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not against, so um, that I think has been the big part. You know, I just I know that I definitely wouldn't be able to provide that insight. Um, but it's been it's been fascinating. It's been really interesting. And like I said, this is the most not safe for work work that we've done. <laughs> I, I think I've ever done. Your you computers know, so we're, are getting yeah, flagged
0: by the FBI. Oh, it is
2: absolutely, <laughs> but it's it's been it's been a real it's been a real blast, and it's 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 a great great topic, and it's just, I mean, the history of LGBTQ Atlanta is the history of Atlanta. It, it, it's, it's, you're the, right. it's the you're geography right. of it. The history, I mean, it's, yeah. it's The way all... that people
0: came to, you know, speaking with people I know in the community that are a little older, telling me that, hey, I grew up in rural Georgia, yes, and the second I turned 18, I came to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It was the only place yeah. I, would, I could have ever Black, been white, myself. Yes. Yeah, so the fact were, that it was like this rallying point is yes. like so moving. Mm-hmm. And then that we, you know, taking ownership of that, like this was the place you, and really think about it like would i want to be in alabama no yeah. mississippi no i mean every surrounding yeah. state is like giving me frightening vibes for being a LBGTQ person in any decade honestly yeah. so like it's interesting that they all came to atlanta
1: a lot of people who were in atlanta during this period were people who had moved from really? other diamond little moved from i think charleston south carolina so that's mm. one person um jane county someone we should mention she's still alive today um a trans uh punk rock artist. Yeah, she was uh, really
2: punk rock. Yeah. Probably. And,
1: and she moved here in the mid to late 60s. New Diamond Lil hung out with her and in her autobiography talks about being on the strip and hanging out with the hippies. Yeah. And she moved here from somewhere else in Georgia, but did the yeah. same thing. Get get to the city, get yeah. to where I can be around people who are different <gasps> and amazing. like me. And then ended up in New York,
2: you know, with the with the explosion of the punk scene in New really? York. Really? So. A part of the factory with Warhol. What? Yeah, what? I mean, just all of it.
0: So there you have it. Part one of my interview with Wes and Patrick. We are going to pick back up next week uh, talking about Atlanta's RuPaul connections and a whole other half hour of more LGBTQ history. Please make sure you visit the project website, which I have linked in the show notes so that you can learn more about the project. Um, You can provide input on a public survey for future preservation, and you can keep tabs on all the events and activities that are being planned around the context study. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, share it with someone you love, leave a rating and a review. All those things help me become more noticeable. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll see you next week.